Actually, it's Nick holding down the fort. <laughs> well, would you pray with me as we open God's Word? Um, we're going to be in the book of John this morning, but I kind of wanted to piggyback off the message that I preached a couple weeks ago. Father God, we come to you asking for your mind in this passage. We come expecting, we come worshiping you because of what you've done. God, I pray that this message would um, firm up some things in our mind, in our heart, in our soul, and how we are to think, but more importantly, how we are to live in this world. Jesus, we come thanking you for the work you did on the cross, for paying the debt that we should be paying, for living the life that we should have lived, and so we could never repay you. So we thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying for our sins. Because you did that, we can even request these things of you this morning because you are alive. In Jesus' name we pray these things this morning. Amen. Well, in our culture today, many people would call themselves Christians. Matter of fact, there's been many polls taken. And in the United States, many people would say they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Probably Many of you here this morning, if not all of you, would say, yes, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So what does that mean, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have to believe that he existed? Well, that's a start. That's a good starting point that, yes, Jesus existed. But is that all there is to belief? Well, it's not just that easy. Because I believe a lot of people existed, but I don't believe my eternal destiny rests in their hands. What I believe about Jesus does matter. And what I do with that belief about Jesus does matter. We've been going through the let's go series, uh, we wanted to get into our neighborhoods and into our community proclaiming the gospel of Jesus that he died, was buried, and rose again to pay for the sins of mankind because all of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have lived a perfect life. We are all in the same boat. I have sinned. I have done wrong. I needed a Savior. If not, I was going to have to pay for my sins, just as you will. So what does it mean to believe? Belief can mean many things to many people. Words change in our society, and it's true that words do change, the meanings change, but there are words that have specific meanings that will never change. I've was talking to Deborah, and we were talking about certain words, and I was thinking about the word man and woman. And so I looked up the, the word woman in Webster, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and it defines a woman as an adult female person. So what's an adult female person? Well, so I Googled it, as you know, Google has all the answers now. It says a female person is the X. X chromosomes. So they have XX chromosomes. 
And most of you would say, well, it also has something to do with some genitalia that that person may have. That's an aspect uh, of being a female or, or a male. But what makes a man or a woman? Does that change? Well, they have certain hormones, certain characteristics. And we got Doc Haber with us, and I'm not going to ask him because he's not a biologist, but uh, he is a doctor. But when it comes to words, what do they mean? And we had somebody that is going to be a Supreme Court justice ask that very question. And she responded, well, I'm not a biologist. Now, to be fair, it was a politicized question. I get that. But we all know what a woman is, do we not? That word is not going to change. Man is not going to change. Well, I posit to you today, the word believe is not going to change. And the word truth is not going to change. Now, certain words change. I remember growing up, we would say, man, that was awesome. Everything was awesome. That was the word. And I don't know what was the older generation used. But what's the word today everybody uses as an adjective? Super, right? Well, that was super cool. That was super this, super. I hear super all the time. What? Oh, is that old now too? Okay. Well, there, there's probably a new word. <laughs> there's probably a new word other than super now. But it was awesome. Then I heard super. We, things change in how we speak, right? Words change. But what does it mean to believe? Believe has a definition. So I looked it up again in Merriam-Webster. And it says, to consider to be true or honest. And I would hold to that definition, but is that all the word believe means? To consider to be true or honest. And I posit to you today that when we talk about our faith, our religion, if you want to call it that, what we believe about God, believe is pregnant with a lot more meaning than that. It means to trust. And where do we trust? We believe that this is the word of God brought down from heaven, inspired, men wrote it, but inspired by God. This is where we get what we believe. And we believe this is truth in this word. But it's far deeper than this because there's a lot of people that can believe that, but do they live it? So then, do they really believe it? So, do we trust that this is the Word of God? Do we trust Jesus that what this says about Him is actually true? So there's trust involved in belief. There's also love involved in belief. If I truly believe Jesus did what He did and said what He said, and I am now a recipient of that grace that Jesus brought to this earth, that should cause me to love him deeply. Because without Jesus coming to this earth, the Bible tells me I have to pay for my own sins in what's called a lake of fire that burns with hot sulfur. Now, I believe in a literal hell as the Bible proclaims it. And so if I did not accept the work that Jesus did on the cross, and then him rising again to pay for my sin, 
I would have to do it myself, which causes me to love him deeply for what he did to me. But there's one more word that I want us to talk about, and that is the word, now, I obey. I trust him, I love him, and I obey him. Why? Because he has authority over my life because of what he has done. First of all, he's my creator, but second of all, he did this for me. Dying on the cross for my sins to be forgiven. That causes me to go, what does he want out of my life? I want to obey him. He is now my father. So we've been talking in the Let's Go series, and what are we proclaiming to people? That God created us in his image. We're proclaiming that God became one of us in Jesus. That God lived the life that we couldn't live in Jesus. That God died the death that we should have died in Jesus And that God rose from the dead in Jesus. And that God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That is a glorious thing. And so we proclaim that to people. And those six statements, I posit to you, are true. But do you know you could believe them and make a mental assent of them in in a belief way and still die in your sins and go to hell? That's crazy, is it not? Because this life is more than just a mental assent to a few dogmas or doctrines. This life is giving over everything to Jesus Christ. Yes, the good news of the gospel are these things, but it's only part of what it means to believe. Listen to a few passages in the Bible. In John 6, Jesus tells people that were following him, that their ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and died. So he's telling these people, listen, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and died. But if they had eaten my flesh and drank my blood, they would have never died but had eternal life. If you're following Jesus, what do you think you would think of him? When he's talking to you, he's like, you need... They wouldn't have died if they'd ate me and drank me. Well, I would have probably been like most of them. I went, okay, I'm good. I don't know what this guy's on, but I'm good. And this thing is going to kill me. (laughs) On hearing this, people were like, man, this is some hard teaching. I've got to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood? And Jesus had a far deeper meaning than a physical sense of that. But a lot of people walked away because that's some crazy talk, right? Jesus asked his disciples, what are you going to do? They're like, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And they knew what that deeper meaning was in eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. 1 John 2, there was a time that people were abandoning their faith. and They would claim to believe They were deconstructing their faith, if you want to call it that. But in verse 19, it says, Many went out from us because they did not belong to us. So there was a time in this 1 John where people were part of the body, but then they were abandoning and leaving the faith. And then we go to Matthew 7. And these are some hard words. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we go to verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's pretty good, right? Prophesy in Jesus' name. Did we not drive out demons? Well, that's some pretty good deal there, driving out demons, right? And in your name perform many miracles? Seems like they were doing the work of God, right? Verse 23 says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are some hard words. Those are some hard words that should hit us. Where are we in our faith? You see, right belief about God and what He has done leads us to right living, bringing Him glory. If you believe the gospel, the Bible says we are a new creature, that old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We are now born again. And the question was asked, how can I be born again? I was born from my mother. What, I got to go back in her? No, but we must be born again of God to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said this, you must hate your father and mother or you cannot be my disciple. That's some hard words, is it not? Hate your mother and father? Your love for him should be so great that it would almost seem like hate to the people around you for your mother and father, your love for God being that great. Jesus wants his disciples to be true and not be oppressed. He wants to free us. He wants us to live in accordance to his will, which is actual freedom. I said two weeks ago that the greatest oppressor is not the white man, it's not the black man, it's not the police, it's sin. That is the greatest oppressor. It's not the government. And yes, the government can be very oppressive. And there are some oppressive factors to it. But the greatest oppression in our life today is sin, especially if you are outside of Christ and do not know Him. Sin is lawlessness, the Bible says. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4, it says that. From the sound of it, though, wouldn't sin be kind of freedom if sin is lawlessness? Because if I'm in the law, it means I'm kind of in bondage, right, to the law? No. The law actually is freeing. Now that sign kind of is counterintuitive, right? Because that doesn't make much sense. If I'm out breaking the law, I've kind of got freedom and I'm not bound by the law. Well, God created us, made in His image. So what is the point of an image? To reflect. A point of an image is to image. We are to reflect the glory of God. And I was thinking about, what were we created for? We were created for freedom. 
We were created to reflect the image of God and be free. Now, we live in Motown, right? What's the big three? Do we have a big three anymore? Okay, those were the big three. Wow, we got a Bible guy here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm thinking more Ford, GM, and Chrysler. Okay? Now, stay with me. Cars were created to drive on roads, were they not? Yeah, we all probably owned a car, ridden in a car. They're created to drive on roads. I love driving out west. We went to a, with the Hanafis on vacation to the Rocky Mountains. Remember that? We drove through these mountain passes. It was a beautiful time. Scenery for miles. But part of that road, when you're up in the mountains, there's cliffs. And you can see way down in these valleys. Now, on part of that, there's guardrails. So if your car kind of got out of control or you got out of control looking, which I tend to do is if I'm looking over there, I kind of go over there. There's guardrails to keep you on the road. Now, why are they there? That's not much freedom, right? To keep you safe, keep you on the road, which is where the car is supposed to be. Now, my car I have was not made for skiing down the cliffs. So that would have ended really, really bad because what would have happened to me and my car if the guardrails weren't there and I got out of little control? I would have died. I would have been oppressed in death. I would have been down the hill or the cliff. And so those guardrails and that road gave freedom to my car because my car was made for the road, not the cliff. It's the same way in our lives with God's instructions for us. He gives them so we can have freedom to be who He wants us to be. Made in His image, reflecting His glory. That is where true freedom comes up. But it gets twisted because we want some other freedom to be something we weren't made to be. And that was lawless. We were made to be under God's presence and His care. Where are you with that today? Wanting to do your own thing? Live your life any way you want to live it? In a lawless manner? Or have freedom to be actually who you were created to be? God set up a lot of laws if you read the Bible. The Old Testament in Leviticus and certain books has just a lot of laws. You're like, man, I don't know how the children of Israel kept those laws. Ah, don't mix fabric. Don't eat shellfish. If you're um, a woman at that time of the month, you couldn't do this. I mean, there was just a ton of laws. But why were they there? Because the children of Israel were a showpiece for God. They weren't very freeing, though, were they? They were kind of restrictive. But Jesus came, and we have a new covenant, the Bible says. And some of us, though, like to live in that new covenant thinking all the old laws are gone. And some of them are. I can mix my fabrics. Uh, I, I can mix cotton and rayon or polyester now. I don't have to wear tassels on my shirts. I love pork. Matter of fact, I smoked a pork butt yesterday. 
Uh, that's a shoulder. Um, I love bacon. Well, the children of Israel weren't allowed to eat bacon. But we are under a new covenant. And some of those restrictions are gone. But there are some that are still with us. The Ten Commandments, for instance, are still applicable to us today. Then some wise guy asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, there's actually one, is love me with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. All the other laws fall under those two we are in sin, aren't we, in, the, in this universe, though? We don't keep the laws of God. We're not loving our neighbor as we should. I mean, you just turn the, the uh, television or radio and we see sin all around us. The shooting in Texas, the shooting in Buffalo, shooting in New York. There was a church a, a person went into and shot. We look at how we kill millions of babies in this world, we read about people having all kinds of uh, mutilation to their genitals because they don't want them at that point. Or they want something different. The way God made them is different than what they want to be, so they cut off body parts. We see how people lie. I've not seen a politician on TV, I think, that didn't lie. And we see sin all around us. And it's dark. All you got to do is look at social media and you see darkness. The darkness of pride and arrogance. The darkness of misinformation. All these things bring darkness to this earth. Yet we, we are to be a holy people. We are to be light in this darkness. How do we do that? And far too many of us want Jesus for a particular caricature of Jesus. Uh, if they made a caricature of me, it would be like a big nose and uh, maybe uh, long hair a little bit. And some of my, my features would be accentuated and some of them would be minimized. And, but that's what we do with Jesus. We make a caricature of Jesus. You know, there's kick, kick the... Tail Jesus when he uh, kicked the money changers out of the temple. We like that Jesus sometimes, don't we? Or we like gentle and lowly Jesus who had a lamb by his side and petted the lamb. Or we like maybe uh, God, Jesus will comfort me, Jesus. Or, yeah, or the one when he cursed the tree, Jesus. Or revolutionary Jesus, I'm changing everything. Or we like, uh, maybe we think Jesus is a white man, Jesus. He's not. Or we think Jesus was a black man, Jesus. He's not. Or we think, well, Jesus fed everybody. We like that part of Jesus. So we accentuate that. Or we like the Me Too Jesus, where he was all about women and feminism. Or we like baby Jesus. That's always fun at Christmas, right? We like to celebrate just at that time. And we accentuate things about Jesus that we like. But we don't take Jesus in totality of everything about him. And you go, when are we going to come to our text, Cleet? You're way into this thing, and I'm just getting in through my introduction. Well, we're going to go to John 8, so would you turn with me to John 8? Because we talked about freedom, and this is Memorial Day weekend, 
And so we celebrate the men and women who have served our country and have died for our freedom. And we should be thankful for that, right? But Jesus has a whole lot better freedom than American freedom or what other freedom you may desire. John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed him. So these were disciples of Jesus. Jesus said to them, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is talking to people that are his disciples, that claim to be his disciples. And they said, we've never been slaves. Now that was a lie. They had been slaves a lot of times. I mean, do we forget about Egypt? Did we forget about all these other slaveries they were under? But they weren't understanding what Jesus was telling them. He was saying, you know what is oppressing you? You know where you are? You are a slave to sin. You say you're my disciple and you're following me, but you're following a caricature of me and you're not really believing who I am. And he goes on further in the text to say, you have a father... You claim it's Abraham, but it's actually the devil. Let me tell you that. Well, what did, if Jesus tells you your father's a devil, are you probably going to follow Jesus? No. So they walked away. These were disciples of Jesus who walked away. But I want for us this morning to answer this question. Are we a true disciple? But then as we go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus, people are going to be saved and come into our fellowship. And our job is to help them become a true disciple. The Great Commission is not only proclamation of the gospel, but teaching them to obey all I've commanded. This is not just about right thinking, but about right living. And it's our job to help disciple people in right living. My first point, you are a slave. We are slaves. It's either to Jesus and His law, which gives freedom to drive on the open road, what we were intended for, or it's Satan and sin. You are a slave. There's two choices. But if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, sin has no power over you. Sin has no power to rule you. You can quit sinning. That is a beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus. Now, do we? Probably not. We have the flesh that wars against the Spirit. But we have the power within us to live righteously. Listen to verse 34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family 
but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, Jesus had a public ministry for three years and had many disciples, many disciples, but most of them left. What he's saying here, a son, if you truly are a son, you will endure to the end because that's what sons do. They never lose their sonship. They will always be a son. But if you're a slave, you may only be with me for a short amount of time and then you're gone. You're gone. I'm a Calvinist. So one of the end of that is uh, of what we call the tulip is perseverance of the saint. The P is perseverance of the saints. So what does that mean? That means all Christians, true Christians, will persevere to the end. But we see in the New Testament this picture that Jesus lays out of soils where, where crops come up and beautiful. Or the seed was sown on some stony ground so they came up but they were choked out by the cares of the world or what we call weeds. And then we see some seed being planted on just hard rock and never comes to fruition. It's that same way as what Jesus is talking about. Slaves to sin, they may look good for a time, but they aren't real sons. Sin has no power over you if you are a son. But if you are not, sin rules you. You will constantly be going back and back and back. But we all sin, right? Even today, I sin. Does that mean I'm not a true disciple of Jesus Christ? No, I believe the way God looks at my sin is through His Son and the forgiveness that I receive through that. But it grieves me when I sin because I don't want to sin. I don't want to disappoint God. I want to love Him. And the way He looks at my sin, I want to look at it as disgusting. I've got a friend who used to be a homosexual, was in those relationships. He was a drug addict. But God gloriously saved him. He is now married, living for God, a couple kids. I asked him one time because I was wondering about the sin of homosexuality and how that he, does that still come up or did God remove that from your life? And he said, no, I still war against that. I still war against looking and maybe lusting after another man. But I know God hates that sin and I hate it. So I do not indulge in it and I put it to death. God is not freedom from that temptation, but what He has the power to do with that temptation is to kill it because He knows it's not pleasing to God. Beautiful thing that God is doing in His life and has done. But then I hear stories. We had a young lady who was coming here for a time and um, she was um, married or dating another young lady. And so she broke up with her and... Um, moved away, but then I heard she went back into that lifestyle. She looked like a true disciple, and maybe she is, and maybe she'll 
realize her sin and be removed from it. But if we go back and we don't fight it, the Bible talks about we are a slave to that sin. If she was truly a disciple, she has the power to kill that sin through the Holy Spirit. And it's that way in each one of our lives. Do you have a sin that is besetting you, that keeps coming up? Kill it. Put it to death. War against it. Romans 6, verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern and teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You will obey someone. Is it Satan or is it Jesus Christ? You see, as we evangelize on these streets, we will run into this. People claiming to be Christians. And it is our job to disciple. Who is your master? I want to leave us, though, with some encouragement today. Because the Bible in this passage does talk about perseverance, does it not? It talks about sonship. A daughter. If you are truly God's, you will persevere to the end. That is beautiful. You know you will persevere to the end. Are you holding on to Christ? Are you holding on to His gospel? Are you of the faith? When the world is going crazy around you, do you still have Jesus Christ? When bad things happen in your life, are you still holding on to Jesus Christ and being obedient to Him. John 15 says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in which bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Pruning probably hurts a little bit, doesn't it, when you cut? But it becomes more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is Jesus Christ, the true vine. Are you connected to him and bearing fruit? We talked about a couple weeks ago, brought up the fruit of the Spirit of love. Do you have that reflected in your life? Are you imaging God in your love? Your kindness, your long-sufferingness, your patience, your forgiving. Are you demonstrating, are you imaging what it means to be a follower of God? Verse 5 of John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And this is Jesus talking. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. See, it's about right living also, not just about right thinking. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I love you, Jesus says. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Are we doing that? Are we loving one another as God has loved us? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Be I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. A servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everyone that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I'm going to end with this. I said you are a slave to either God or Satan. It's true. But God doesn't leave you as a slave. He brings you in as a son and as a daughter. Is that not a beautiful thing? Being in God's family as a son or daughter? He doesn't leave you. You have full privileges and rights as His disciples when you are a son or daughter. Who are you a slave to? Are you in freedom? Do you obey the words of God? Worship team, if you want to come. Are you walking as a disciple of His, seeking to obey Him? Are you seeking to put away sin out of your life, killing it? We're all going to be tempted. We all are going to be tempted till we die. But what do we do with that temptation? Because the Bible says He makes a way of escape. And if you're struggling and need prayer, it's going to be a couple of us in the back that would love to pray with you. Because God gives us each other to help in our struggles. He doesn't leave us alone. He gives you to me and me to you. That's why we need one another as family, as community, to be there for each other. Are you a son or daughter or are you a slave? Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for allowing me this time to proclaim your goodness. God, I pray that I would live a life that would be reflecting your glory, that would be reflecting you and not a caricature of you, but a whole-orbed view of you. May my life look like you more today than it did yesterday and more tomorrow than it did today. 
May there be growth in my life, God. I need that. So God, I pray for anyone who is struggling in their faith that they would persevere because the struggle's not the problem, it's the quitting. So God, I pray that they would seek hard after you. And so God, anyone who here that is not a Christian, that would have said they're a disciple but are not, God, may this be the day of salvation that they truly become a disciple of yours. In Jesus' name we pray.